0: all right what's going on everybody dan tom here analyst over at mma junkie and this is the well it will be on the protecting neck podcast but this is over on my live uh streaming for the youtube channel over there daniel tom mma for those of you that want to thumbs up subscribe all that good stuff as people pile in i'm going to do the obligatory walk and talk as i share the last live link to get the last people on in here And we will start recapping UFC 249, which just concluded about 10 or 15 minutes ago as I record this now. Um, it was a crazy card, kind of as expected, being that it's a MMA and B you know, uh, fight cards during a pandemic time, which we will you know talk about all that stuff, mainly just tethering to the action. That's my beat, that's what I mainly stick to here. Um, technical analysis, but you can ask me questions about all things pertaining to MMA or other wise but be careful because i will answer so there's that as i tweet this out and we will get to the party all right boom okay cool all right thank you all for joining feel free to leave questions in the chat you can follow me at dan tom mma follow the podcast at the pyn podcast on all social platform sorry for the uh really shoddy backdrop and stuff i'm I'm working on the fly here i'm actually not in my studio room i actually had to set up in in my room long story that you guys aren't interested in but uh we got to make do man it, it, it is it is the year of 2020 and uh as the ufc did tonight which we'll talk about we all kind of got to make do with what we got and what we got tonight was ufc 249 uh, which was headlined by of course Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje for the interim lightweight title. Um, I'm getting blinded by my own light fixtures because I had to put them awfully close. As you can tell by the glare, it's making me squint even more than my eyes. Genetically already have me squinting, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, obviously that went down, so spoilers in three, two, one. Obviously, Justin Gaethje won that. We're going to recap results from top to bottom, kind of like I do in the breakdown uh, variations that I do on my podcast, Protect Your Neck Podcast. Again, free on Apple Podcasts as well as this here channel. I'll recap them the same way, just so it's it's pretty easy. A Couple notes off the top. I got results pulled up to my left, and we'll get uh we'll get going here. First of all, um, you know, it's funny, Dominic Cruz fought tonight, and uh when Dominic Cruz fought the last time he fought at UFC 207 um against Cody Garbrandt. And, like, pop quiz for this podcast that I'm recording this for was our first episode. It was an after-party edition that I don't suggest you go and and watch because we were drinking kind of like I'm going to be doing here. So, cheers to you guys, whatever you're uh, partaking. And don't worry, I won't be getting sloppy like I did on that episode. But I do want to talk some fights, so that's what we will do as um, Dominic Cruz also fought tonight. Uh, not a great night for him, not a great night for a lot of uh, a lot of my favorites. Again, um, not supposed to have favorites and certainly after covering cover in the sport. You know, you have a lot less of them, let's just say. However, um, like all biases, small or big, as you know, I'm, I I do a pretty good job of, of uh, admitting that uh, ahead of time. So uh, but, but, but a lot to unpack on both sides and really, um, really crazy stuff in both the, the top and bottom here. Uh, I'm seeing some questions coming. Thank you. Keep, keep, keep them coming in on the chat and I will get to them. I promise. Um, and even just really top and bottom of the card. So let's get these last couple notes out and we'll just, we'll dive right into it. First, I want to shout out the, uh, at the real Chris Olson, Christopher Olson there on Twitter. Um, when you're sleep deprived and I'm not going to complain about that cause we all are, uh, like, so it's nothing new. I'm, I'm not playing a violin. Believe me. But when you're sleep deprived and you talk for a living you're gonna say stupid stuff right so um yeah uh you know so so even though um I appreciate like the Bohachinia depots and the Lord honky humongous accounts of the world uh, you know accounts, accounts of the world which is awesome sorry I've got like replays and like a post fight show going on back here um you know when they'll like clip like uh for example like what Brendan Shaw will say and stuff and don't get me wrong I'm not I'm not defending Brendan. However, uh, I, I try to jump on anybody in general for what they say, because whether you're talking or tweeting and if that's like your job, guess what folks you're eventually going to say something really stupid. And like, especially if you're like me, who you're going to say something stupid anyways, well, it'll kind of amplify. Um, it'll amplify even more so. Uh, so um, I will miss like really obvious stuff. Some stuff it's just I'm stupid for sure. A hundred percent other stuff. It's like, Okay, I'm like seventy you know, percent stupid and like 30% uh, sleep deprived, but Chris Olson replied to a uh, a kind of a Jackie Brown reference I, I did, and, and it was about the Delphonics, and I totally missed that he was quoting me in the movie. I'm like, I'm an idiot. And another one that I missed, which is more pertaining, we are rounding it back to UFC 249, folks. I did a breakdown, as I usually do at MMAJunkie.com. Thank you for checking out my work this week uh, on the main event for Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje. And sometimes you know, I'll, I'll try to get fancy or whatever and open with a quote. And I did from one off Tombstone. And for whatever reason, I put um, Doc Holliday, even though it was the, you know, I'm bringing hell and hell's coming with me. And it was Wyatt Earp. So foreshadowing of being wrong, not only was I wrong on the quote, I was wrong on the pick because yes, we are back to UFC 249. I picked Tony Ferguson by fourth round uh, using the jab, using measuredness. No, no, it was not. It was the jab, the hooks, the crosses, just the overall measuredness, the countering. Uh, And the composure, staying composed, which was Justin Gaethje. And boy, boy, was I impressed. I was blown away. One, because it's so hard to fight against what your natural inclinations are. Like, if you're a hard-nosed pressure fighter, there's probably a lot of reasons you're like that way. And it's hard to break that. Or if you're a counterfighter, perhaps there's reasons you're like that. And it's hard to break that trend. However um breaking the trends under the pressure the pressure of the ufc the big stage a title fight on the big stage and not just a title fight on the big stage but like having a fight during this thing uh that we call the uh the global pandemic and i'm not trying to get political but that is a big deal i mean it's affecting it's affecting all of us whether we want to uh give it credit or not or credence or not it's a real thing it's affecting us and these fighters had a lot of hurdles to get through to compete tonight um and, and it was, uh, and you really got to give a hats off to Justin Gaethje for not just fighting against type, you know. I always say one of my favorite Conor McGregor fights as far as, like, impressive performances, like, I'm not, like, a Conor McGregor, like, uh, not fanboy by any means, uh, by the way. Just saying, like, if you ask me what my favorite performance is, it's not going to be the typical answers you're going to get. Or maybe this would fit under it, but for different reasons. But I like uh, the second fight against Nate Diaz because he had to really fight against type. Um, you know, against exploding and trying to go for that knockout. And instead, we saw Connor is well, after he hit a wall and ran into some trouble, of course. I mean, it wasn't easy by any means. Uh, regardless of how you scored that fight, we saw him have to adjust and keep his composure, change up his targeting, his placements, his pacing, the ump he was putting up on his shots and uh, being able to adjust to come back and give himself a chance to win that fight, right? And Gaethje did that in a much more emphatic way um in the chat ab1 1986 that's a good year it's off it's off one from mine 1985 b says wow did not expect justin to be able to win a ud well i mean it was a stoppage but i get what you mean perhaps a excuse me kind of like i said off the top uh composed performance over a long stretch i think even before, uh you know, uh, supporters would argue, or at least we're picking. Maybe not would argue, but we're picking that Gaethje was going to win within the first two rounds. That was the common, uh, that was the common thought. And regardless of who you picked, you weren't wrong for thinking that. I mean, if we're picking fights off evidence, that's what kind of leads you to believe, right? So um, yeah, uh, he continues on to say in the chat, which you can submit your questions there. I'm seeing more coming. Uh, just a strategic adjustment. He has a lot more defensive tricks in the pocket than I thought he did. Hey, you and me both. I mean, you know, you'll hear uh, a lot of uh, analysts, including myself, that, yeah, we give credit to Gaethje as far as his adjustments. You see it quietly in these last fights. You see him really working that distance management in the Edson Barbosa fight with the leg kicks managing that distance. And then you go to the next fight with Cowboy Cerrone. And again, forget about Edson or Cowboy, the runs they may or may not be on. I'm not trying to, you know, tit the glass, so to speak, with that. But if you look at what just what Justin was doing and the feints, the footwork, the distance management, the picking his spots, it was, that was really key. And he picked his spots beautifully. Um, again, I, I wasn't uh, discounting Justin. I wasn't definitely discounting him by strikes or a smarter performance per se, although I didn't see this coming. I'm not going to front. Uh, I didn't see. Uh, I, I mean, I wasn't surprised that he didn't like, you know, I wasn't surprised that he fought smarter per se, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um it's just the point that I made was that like er, it, whether people were citing or like actual doing the video and gif replays like when Tony gets hurt and when Justin's when Justin hurts people he 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 counters people, he crashes or he comes forward, mainly crashing and or coming forward especially if we're talking early in the mid Gagey career uh whereas Tony the spots where he was getting rocked whether it was against Venata, Pettis, uh, these were replays that were kind of burnt into our brains that were being replayed in our streams and spheres. If you notice, Tony was kicking while that was happening. And Tony definitely gave a lot of opportunities off at the beginning. I mean, he was prodding with naked kicks from round one, the opening stanza. So he was almost asking for that. But to my point, despite me being wrong, obviously, uh, to my point, Justin didn't, didn't take those opportunities. He usually doesn't, which is why I was leaning toward Ferguson going in. However, Justin he didn't have to. He just needed to fight smart. And listen to his coaching that you hear rogan in the commentary bo- uh, booth justfully so giving the credit to trevor whitman and obviously trevor whitman's a card a part of that commentary team but there was a lot of biases on play like with cejudo fight with cormier and cruz you know so um the guys were used to that they weren't saying anything outlandish like that was very true um you know as far as that goes and like you know and Dan Tom with his last dance uh, analogies, but, you know, speaking of, you know, the Chicago Bulls or Phil Jackson, uh, the coach there, um, when you talk about that early Lakers team, I, I always say, yeah, I'm not denying the, the talent of Kobe and Shaq, but there was a lot of talents on that team and nor am I denying those talents. It was a Phil Jackson that tied those talents together. We've seen the action fighting teams of the Lakers from the mid to late 90s with the Eddie Jones and you know, Elgin Campbell's, Nick Van Exels, but you needed a a cohesive uh, force tying t- tying those things together behind the scenes. So it's the fighters and it's the players who are getting in there. Make no doubt about it, but please give the coaches credit as well because they deserve it, and Trevor Whitman absolutely deserves credit as well, not over the fighter, but as well uh, for this performance. It was just beautiful. And you guys know I'm a Tony Ferguson mark. For those of you who have been uh, – Who have been who have been following me know that. Um Daniel on thank you for uh submitting the question. Do you think the extra weight cut affected Tony? No, no, I don't. Um I covered this, uh I covered this with Mike Dulce. Thanks to Mike Dulce again for his time. Those of you who listen to the breakdown podcast, I inserted that interview on the podcast as well as it was on MMA But Mike dulce pretty much uh we have a conversation about it and essentially comes down to two things i'll sum it up to was that tony keeps himself in a good shape and say what you will about his you know um unique ways or whatever and i don't want to use certain words that can get rehashed or have a negative connotation say what you will about tony ferguson you say what you will about his discipline he has discipline right i mean the guy's always working and that was going to translate well to somebody keeping, uh, as far as peak performance, as far as not cutting too much weight, as far as weight maintenance in and out of the camp goes, which is an important thing. Second, uh, Secondly, Tony Ferguson wrestled uh, growing up and collegiately, which the competition seasons for wrestling, you're having to cut weight and perform multiple times uh, within seasons. Um, so with Tony Ferguson having both those things, I don't think the weight cut was going to affect. Now we have seen the fight, right? So now we have something to measure it up against. Tony Ferguson did lose, which is probably why you're asking Daniel. So not a bad question, my man. Um, however, I would argue even more that Dulce's point and the point that we came to in our conversation would kind of stand firmer, being that if Tony Ferguson got knocked out, much less, well, I mean, he got technically stopped, but I mean, if he got like put out of conscious, uh, consciousness, but much less stopped convincingly, in the early going, then I think we could question, oh, did his chin get diminished? You know, Tony Ferguson said so himself in the post-fight speech. Not that he was making excuses, nor is he the type to. He was saying it was the longest camp ever. You incorporate a weight cut, now say he was knocked unconscious. Now we can ask those questions maybe, although I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. Who knows? Um, But the fact that it was thorough and Gaethje was so composed, I think affected it, what affected this fight was Gaethje's skill. And a theme that, as I push on, as we push on through the results here, that's going to be real common for at least my perspective, especially if you listen to my breakdown podcast, the Protecting Neck Podcast. Thank you for those of you joining on YouTube. Um, we'll know is that I need to go, I need to heed my own advice, you know. Do as I say, not as I do. And that is definitely the case with Dan Tom. You know whether it's rules I preach that like, hey, if uh, if it's a heavyweight fight and it's over two and a half to one odds, you might want to squint at that, or so on and so forth, or certain things. Um, and with this fight, I said, uh, if you listen to me early on, I always said for, for about the last year or two, I said Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje are the worst matchups for Tony Ferguson. Now, in no way am I trying to butt my chest with that. In no way does that protect me from my pick because I ended up picking Ferguson, folks. I ain't trying to lie about it. That being said, I, I have stated that on many a platforms, on many a shows, and many a times through the past couple of years, that Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje are the worst matches for Tony Ferguson. But back to the rounding point of the performance, did I see it like that? I'd be lying to you if I say I did. Um, you know, Tony Ferguson got pretty reckless in his last two performances, um, and I think it's something that I overlooked uh when i did my own analysis of this card and when i listened to others and uh, you know others i uh, shouts to the guys from heavy hands uh phil mckenzie connor rebush i believe it was them at least that were saying that like you, tony ferguson like his last couple of fights you know you really see um i mean they were violent and we like to point to the opponent's face but i think we and particularly i forget to look at the other person's face which was tony's or at least not so much his face but that reflection in the mirror. What was he doing? How was he fighting? How did that compare? And again, I'm good at admitting my biases, but because of those same very biases, folks, uh, I can I can very much overlook things, which is why I, I warn you to follow me off cliffs as far as picks go on fights that I admit my bias for. But yeah, Gechi completely blew me away, and I think he deserves all the credit, Stan. Uh, sans the credit that you should be also giving to Trevor Whitman and the rest of his team. So props to Justin Gaethje. Um, It is sad to see the uncrowned lightweight King fall, and I'm not trying to sound like a, a fanboy grasping onto of things, but I think we should all acknowledge it for Tony Ferguson's sake and credit, because as the broadcast uh pointed out, which is something that I've been pointing out for years, that he's had the longest and, and, and impressive lightweight streak. Again, uh, Khabib uh, those fights, some of those fights were either catch weights and/or he missed weight, um, and/or Tony Ferguson had a. Uh, so if Tony Ferguson had a longer streak in that sense, um, fought guys when they were more within primes, uh, beat guys more impressively, fought them more risky, uh, uh, more risky, like riskedly. If I'm making up words here on the fly, and um, came away with more impressive things. I'm not trying to disparage uh, Habib by any means by this, but I'm just trying to give a man who just fell. The only do that I really can give him at this point um, for going down in the unheralded division that is lightweight, Tony Ferguson. I don't think it would have made it too much of a difference because Justin Gaethje has really hard hit triggers. Like I said, even though predicting Tony would win, I didn't think it was going to be on the ground. However, at a certain point, whether Tony was having glimpses of winning, which he did have in this fight, albeit I scored it for Justin up until he finished him. Uh, Tony um, was, it was impressive. He was just fighting, he fighting him in his own strength, you know, you know, Kevin Lee, he fights him in his strength. Let's the wrestler mount him and smash him and says, it's okay. I'm going to eventually submit you my guard because, you know, that's so high percentage in MMA submitting people in the guard is not by the way, in case you're missing sarcasm. But uh, I was like, wow, this guy is like doing the thing we give John Jones credit for, except Tony's doing it at freaking lightweight, the most deepest division against guys who aren't past their prime against guys who are dangerous unheralded in the mix and otherwise and tony ferguson did it and he may have been combative with the media and his contemporaries and others along the way and he may have been chaotic and quote unquote crazy in the way he went about it but think what you will i'm not telling you to like him or love him or hate him i was a fan of his fighting and i think that this run um should be respected i did shout out to matthew wells and the slip and dip podcast i've had Matt on for a lot of top five episodes and i gotta have him on again but we did um top five lightweight winning streaks and um i believe i had tony's number one i may have like, did it a two-way tie for khabib and had them both tied at number one for it but even if khabib goes on to beat gaichi when they fight hopefully um i still feel like tony's lightweight winning streak hold will will and should hold the test of time that being said i am excited for some khabib gaichi because uh both gaichi and tony possess something that again i'll give it here because i've given it in places before if you listen, listen to my analysis and since tony khabib sadly isn't happening after 70 million times of trying one of the points i brought up which was interesting is that tony Granby rolls out of double legs and him, uh, and um when fighters try to lock uh, around their hips, the only other fighter that I see really do that effectively is Gaethje as well uh, at that, you know, explosive level. And if you look at the fight with Abel Trujillo, which I know is like a takedown um, showcase for Khabib, as it is and should be, and he should get credit for it. I'm not trying to take away credit uh, from Khabib people. However, look what even a NAI wrestler in Trujillo who has the stereotype of fading, is able to do um, each time he Granby rolls, the deeper into a fight, he gets more success with it. So you watch guys like Gaethje or Ferguson particularly, obviously, Gaethje we will be really excited if um, Khabib can't lock them hands or get Gaethje to the fence. Gaethje doesn't fight along the fence very often. You're still going to find Cagey against the fence unless he's putting the guy's lights out who has just recently retreated to the fence. That's a very interesting fight. Um, I think Khabib will and should be favored. Not by a lot, but I think he should be the deserved favorite. But Gaethje, Gaethje's ripe to take that fight, folks. Don't sleep on him. Um, As I shouldn't have to tell you that after this last performance, because he pretty much even put his own supporters on notice by beating Ferguson in the way that he did. Uh, AB 1986B, oh, yeah, probably a few beers ahead of you. Yeah, I hear you, buddy. Excuse for my speech impediments. And to be honest, my speech actually goes down generally this this point in the night. That's why I've stopped um, pushing it for a long time. Listeners of the podcast do late night episodes, but that's also because of uh, concussion issues, folks. If you get hit in the head like old Dan Tom did throughout his youth and uh, competitive adulthood, um, you will have to wear hipster glasses maybe because you might lose vision. And the, the proverbial power bar that we all have, if everybody is at 100 grand of the morale De- of the world have like a 300% life bar, energy bar for the day. Mine's at like an arbitrary, like 75 on a good day since um my last bad concussion. So about this time of the night, I send to, to clonk out anyways. In him. So even if I was alcohol free, but cheers to you, my friend. Uh, Keith90, finish reminded me a little bit of Robbie Lawler versus Rory McDonald. Mentally, Tony wanted to keep fighting, but his body had taken too much punishment. Keith, if this is Keith McKenna, shouts to you, but either way, Keith90, that is a great comparison. That is a great comparison. I still have to go back and watch that again, but it was some strange body language. I mean, it wasn't like Michael Chandler, Will Brooks too strange, but that was pretty strange body language. Albeit, I don't have an issue with that stoppage. By the way, I know many people think I hacked. And, you know, I made a comment, just one about the cruise, and you know, I'm a Tony fan, but no, folks. Just as I can admit my biases, I can put them aside. Um, no, no issue with that stoppage, but it was weird looking for sure. And that is a great analogy in comparison. Because let's be honest, both were fifth round. Similar weight and a lot of damage. So that's a really good comparison. Thank you, Keith. All right. So let's go to the next fight. Dominic Cruz uh, loses for the first time by strikes. TKO or I don't know. Did they they say it was a knockout? I forgot the... uh... Results pulled up right here. It was a TKO knee and punches. So I have less of a problem with this one as I watch back the accumulation uh, of it. However, I do stand by my statement because in my statement, the only one complaint that I had about it, the only one tweet that I made about it, um, was that regardless of how you feel about the stoppage, I'm not putting that caveat to protect myself because I just wanted to talk about a point, was that... um, I personally think the ninganu stoppage was early (laughs) just you brother um regardless how you feel about the stoppage which again i feel uh you know less bad about it at all Uh, by the way it also would be hypocritical of me if i were to even get upset about it which i didn't get upset by the way i was just trying to raise a point for what it's worth because i didn't get upset for the tj dillashaw stoppage which again um it is kind of a pet peeve of mine although tj dillashaw wasn't quite turtling full-on he wasn't a turtle position because he was fighting for a single and you guys know i'm a big fan of uh fighting for single legs re-wrestling to get back into the fight and turtling to get out of bad spots i'm a big fan of it and it is very frustrating because i don't disagree um if i was coaching a fighter I would tell him to be careful anytime he chooses a turtle because that body language alone can set off a ref. And when we have a lot of step- stoppages where people are usually jumping on the ref, I'm usually the guy that's like, whoa, slow down. I don't necessarily agree with the stoppage by any means. However, I don't think we should get mad at the ref because I also understand that um, there are certain body languages that trigger a ref and you are just as tense in there. Uh, I haven't refed to fight, but I've fought and I've cornered. And that's it. I haven't judged or, or called a fight. Hopefully that's my dream to someday call a fight. But if I keep being honest with my potty mouth, I probably won't ever get that opportunity, even for smaller shows. But um, but but I've been um, in and just outside of the fights before. And I, I'll tell you, folks, it, you know, I got – there's a saying people say, and I totally agree with it because I was on the outside of the cage more than I was on the inside of it, clearly. But I got way more nervous – when friends or teammates competed whether i was cornering not cornering and just watching as a spectator in the audience even further out um, much less being right there inside of the cage folks so you're already programmed and you're kind of ready to stop something and i feel like and you feel like a responsibility as you should because a good ref is going to want to keep those fighters safe folks safety first i do agree with that um so you got to give fighters leeway. So if I was coaching a fighter I'd say be careful about doing that. And when fighters do go down in a certain way and even though they were they recover, I will I will say, you know, go easy on the ref even if I don't agree with the stoppage because body language can set it off. I think it was a mix of body language and it was also a duration, people arguing the stoppage of 8 to 11 or whatever. I didn't count the shots, but that sounds I don't know if it was that much, but I wouldn't be surprised. Let's put it that way. It was a lot of strikes and I am not arguing with that at all. Um, However, whether it's a just stoppage or not, because we've seen a lot of strikes happen and the fight still goes on. Um, Frankie Edgar, Gray Maynard too, for the obvious big example, but plenty, plenty examples, right folks? Um, We've seen them, you know, we've seen them go on. So I don't want to put a number on strikes and put a number on the limit per se. Again, everything has to be within context. So I guess my issue was it was that, like, was Dominic Cruz hurt? Sure, he was hurt. But when fighters are re-wrestling to get back into the fight, I believe they should be given a little leeway. I'm all for safety first, but I also believe that. I think that, like, you got to beat the champ. You got to take the belt from the champ. You got to beat the champ to take the belt. Um, Close rounds should go to the champ. I don't disagree that that doesn't happen even today, sadly. But I in no way agree with that. Um, obviously those are not in the rules. Um, however, maybe it's because it's the hardened, uh, competitor martial arts part of me coming through speaking this stubbornly, I might add. So take it with a salt. You will folks. I feel like there should be more leeway given in a championship fight for a fighter where not only was it Cruz's possibly last fight, but now as we know, it was Cejudo's last fight. It was a championship fight. Um, Cruz has never been stopped before in his entire career. I mean, not that they should be taking any of those things into context. You need to be thinking right there, right now as a referee. But still, that's... Boy, that's tough. Especially because even though he was really stunned and hurt, it was more like when the ref decided to do it, he was turtling up to his feet. Now we saw a similar stoppage with Jacare Souza and Robert Whittaker where Yamasaki, the fight probably could have been stopped once, maybe even twice before. But what Yamasaki does is he stops it late. Not trying to pile on Yamasaki, but surprise, surprise. Right. And Jacare is kind of turtling. Now Jacare had already taken a beating. Jacare did not contest the stoppage because he had taken our, uh, already taken a beating. So it didn't matter there. And me and many didn't, raise an eyebrow however even though i didn't see people too many people getting upset about this and again i'm not i'm okay with the stoppage i'm even more okay with it now uh, i just wanted to argue the point of turtling which is something that's overlooked in a lot of stoppages and as the catch wrestling uh you i forget what it's called i retweet a lot of their stuff i appreciate them uh chiming in um it's a really great account i mean because i'm a catch wrestler so i'm gonna yeah, I come from a catch wrestling school so i'm gonna I'm going to pump them up, but, you know, they brought up a good point, which is what I was trying to emphasize, albeit the character uh, limit on Twitter. Um, Stopped me from that, which was, yes, I meant it more toward the refs. The refs need to understand this position because it it sucks, you know, like the um, sometimes it's just weird timing. Like what was it, Herb Dean, when it was, uh, I don't think it was Nico Price, but it was al Hassan versus um, Sabah Sabah Homasi, right? Uh, Two guys that I don't think are in the UFC anymore. And one of the guys gets dropped. I think it's Homasi gets dropped, but as he, as he gets dropped, he, he dives in for a single uh, single leg. But again, the body language sparks off the stoppage, right? So Herb stopping it, but it was in the middle of a wrestling transition. And single legs, I will, again, just as I would warn my, my fighters, as I said at the top of this uh, rant and note, to be careful about turtling, I will also coach them to turtle and single whenever pos- uh, possible, because it's going to get you out of bad spots. It's going to and it's going to protect you as far as the single leg goes. Um, it'll protect your head from bad positions. That's why I hate fights getting stopped in the single leg position. That's why um, even though I'm okay with the stoppage, I also get why people are upset with that Dillashaw stoppage because Dillashaw was rocked, certainly, but he was also swimming back in for the single leg. Um, whereas Cruz was making the point going, you know, intelligent defense moving toward advancing your position to a better position is technically considered advancing uh, a Intelligent defense. So Cruz getting off of his back from taking strikes on his back after getting a knee to the face to getting to a turtle position to get back to his feet is intelligent defense. Uh, in fact, Cruz was taken down emphatically off of a hard exchange in the first round. And you saw Henry Cejudo, as noted by the commentary, who is camp, as uh, Cejudo's camp, focused on control. Cejudo tried to sell out sell for it early. You see him trying to throw a shoulder pressure and et cetera, to try to hold position. But what does Dominic Cruz do? He does something that Uriah Faber and Team Alpha Male made a living off of, which is instead of going half guard, full guard, fighting static for static, I'm going to trust that I know grappling defense and wrestling and scrambling. I'm going to roll away. I'm going to give my back knowing how to defend it, running that risk, which it is a risk, folks. It is a risk going turtle, both for strikes and getting your back taken. It is very risky. I'm not trying to pretend that it's not. However, there has been a longstanding uh, sample sizes from multiple fighters, and most of those fighters, Dominic Cruz is beaten, by the way. That turtling will get you back to your effing feet. And Dominic Cruz did exactly that in the first round, and he went to do that after being rocked. Now, again, I'm not trying to argue whether you think the stoppage was right or wrong. I just wish that refs and the general population, which might bleed into the ref knowledge, uh, officials understood that uh, uh, understood that position more because kind of like Dom Dom Cruz was saying, and or I don't know if he said it or this is my words, that it, posting on your hands works both ways. When I'm talking about playing guys from Turtle, when, when you hear a quarter yell heavy on your hands, because the quarter wants their fighter to shuck the fighter forward and make them go heavy on your hands. Because if your weight goes forward, you have to go heavy on your hands to post. And if you go heavy on your hands to post, what are you not doing? You're not protecting hooks. You're not protecting your neck. You're not blocking strikes. So those are very good things. However, on the flip side, from Dominic Cruz's point of view, I'm going to either stay there and block and get and almost invite to get the stop, uh, the fight stopped at that point because I've already been kneed. I've been rocked. I've been hit with follow-up shots. So now, wait, you want me to just block and stay there? No, I'm going to get the fuck out of there. That's intelligent, right? Unfortunately not, because Cruz sacrificing getting, getting hit for getting up. And again, this is something that not even just the Uriah Faber era of the sport, folks. How about we rewind it 20 years for you? Maybe a guy called Chuck Liddell. I don't know, because that's not a big name relevant to the UFC at all. He used to do the same damn thing. Granite taking those shots to get up to his feet eventually caught up to him along with his hard fighting style. Hence Chuck's chin, you know, uh, vaunted chin problems. But again, this style of getup, and again, Chuck used to wrestle from wrestling, this wrestling style getup it's been around forever, yet people are ignorant to it. That's my problem with it. My problem is not the stoppage tonight. My problem is the ignorance toward the turtle position. And it sucks because I'm also a turtle guy, you know, I, even jujitsu wise. Like, I love Eduardo Telles. This isn't just a wrestling thing, folks um go, go go watch eduardo tellos grappling you will see a pretty much a welterweight going to turtle but he is so goddamn good from this position that gabriel gonzaga a heavyweight black belt world champion in his prime at the time fucking terrified of eduardo tellos pardon my french treating him like he's a great white shark in open waters why because turtle is a fighting position folks even jujitsu guys can use it because jujitsu jitsu or wrestling, regardless, grappling, before you could pull guard, folks, you see the wood behind me? It wasn't even wood. It wasn't mats. It was fucking stone back in the Greco days, back in the Roman days, back in the days of mankind. We did not have mats. Hence, there was no pulling guard. So what did you do when you wrestled and you fought one of the oldest Olympic sports, one of the oldest form of combat? You went turtle. So that is my rant. It's upsetting that people don't know what turtle is. Cejudo did an awesome job as well. Daniel Cejudo did do an awesome job, and I want to move right onto that now that I'm past the turtle ramp because stoppage aside, which, again, I don't have an issue with, uh, especially now after rewatching the replay, folks, in context. Um, But also, I don't know if I tweeted this or not, but like, I don't think Cruz is going to win that fight if they didn't stop it. And I don't want to discount adjustments, especially from Cruz, of all people, but Cejudo is having a dominant fight. It was an impressive fight. It was a dominant fight, and I'm going to go into giving Cejudo credit. However, it's kind of like those adjustments things. Like I don't know how good the adjustment was for this one. Again, everyone's talking about this fight or the fight with Marais for adjustments. Like, dude, the second fight with DJ, that's where the most impressive Cejudo adjustments were. and That's where some of the most impressive uh, Eric Eric Albahacene cornering was. Um, I feel like Santino DeFranco should get more credit for the Mirage fight than like, well, uh, and, you know, than anybody else minus the fighter, obviously. Um, however, uh, in this fight, I don't know if it was adjustments. I think what it was. and I'm not trying to take away from Sudo. I'm just saying I think what it was more. It, it felt like Machida Shogun too. And didn't that what it feel like? I mean, you, you've got the in and out, the dancing, and then you've just got the the hard. I'm gonna, you know, Sudo just like Shogun. I'm gonna plant my feet. I'm gonna come forward. I'm gonna hack leg kicks like there's no tomorrow. I'm gonna to counter you every time you come in. I'm gonna make sure there's static punches and unforgiving turbulence, uh, the knockout or not. Every time you engage this pocket, and that's what it felt like. Uh, Henry Cejudo did, and in that sense, I don't think it was an adjustment performance. But like, as far as mirroring that, like that was that was awesome. That was that was really really well done. Um, so credit to Henry, man. Uh, I, I, I know him and his team must think I hate him because I always pick against him, but like, dude, I always pick against cowboy. I love cowboy, but like, I always pick against cowboy too. It's just one of those things where like, I want to say it's the matchup, which I do believe that's easily 70 or 60% of it. However, I do wonder if I do, you know, kind of thinking out loud here, folks, especially for those of you who follow me, uh, for my analysis and the breakdown shows, um i do wonder uh, if which 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 is kind of a rhetorical question I mean, we do have all we we all do have blind spots to certain things and certain styles but i do wonder if the styles that i have a blind spot to is, is really affecting my bias as far as judgment goes um because i i i discounted um henry and he proved me wrong again i discounted bryce mitchell which we'll get to and he he certainly proved me wrong again so that was a uh, that was crazy, so yeah, Henry definitely did a good job. Uh, the crew stoppage was early, but you can't blame the ref for that, T.O.P.O. says. Cruz took a dozen unanswered shots, albeit he was fine, but the ref couldn't tell. Yeah, that's very... Uh, I don't hate that take-it-all T.O.P.O., and kind of like what I was saying before is the ref referees feel a responsibility in there, as they should, so even if the fighter is recovering and it's a fight that could go on, when you see prolonged strikes, it's really hard to blame the ref, you're right, to stop the fight at that point, because... Again, right or wrong within the context, it's their job to keep the fighter safe in there. Um, and even if the fighter's okay, some body language just looks bad at the end of the day. And even though I went on a, a turtle rant, turtle looks bad to the ref. And that's the unfortunate part of those positions. Daniel May says, I definitely have a striker bias when I pick fights because that's what I know more about. Yeah, that's great. That's great for you to admit, Daniel. And uh, I certainly have my own biases as far as styles, too. For example, I'm a fan of volume guys, and as we just covered in the main and co main, the volume guys didn't do too well. So <laughs> to your point, Daniel, thank you. All right, let's move in. Knockout, I-, I was trying to only go like a half hour, maybe we're 38 minutes. So we're definitely not going an hour. So let's let's push through. Um Francis Naganu, which according to Teo was stopped <laughs> was stopped early. Uh KO's Jarzinho Rosenstrach, uh, Rosenstrach, <laughs> yes. This is my my dude. Shout out to at Aaron Bronze that are a great uh, content. at a preview show with him on Periscope, and he's a he's a protecting a podcast listener. He knows about Rosenstruck, but unfortunately Stuck did not know about Ninganu. Props him for calling him out, like my man Matt Wells said, but didn't go well for the dude Jardino as he got knocked out there. So not much to say about that, but good for Ninganu. Um, I hope he gets the touch. He, he has to get a title shot next, regardless. Um stipe cormier or you know this is where everyone would say throw him in there with jones for an interim but i'm kind of like i'm kind of gonna put my heel on the ground and be like jones isn't ever going heavyweight at this point and hopes that me saying that will um have him prove me wrong so not that he cares what i think but you know what i'm saying as far as a spiritual jinxing um aspect next fight calvin cata defeated jeremy stevens this was as fun as me and many were anticipating, folks. And um, not trying to bump my chest because I'm a huge Jeremy Stephens fan. And also bumping your chest, and I told you so. As you know that's not Dan Tom style. It's it's pretty gross. Um, and as somebody who has been on the wrong side of actual ass ass kickings, um, I'm a bit more uh, a bit more uh, reserved as far as celebrating somebody getting beat up. That being said, I did say, do not be surprised if Calvin Cater becomes one of the few people to stop Jeremy Stevens Uh, because we've seen it, you know, either guys can fight smart like Edgar or Moicano, or um, if they're just as technically proficient and tough, they can beat him, which is Donald Cowboy Soproni, Eve Edwards, you know, my favorite Southpaw Eve's Uh, and, and man, I got to rewatch that. That was a a fight for the freaking ages. And you know what kind of sucks with these fights going on with this? It's like, the commentary picked it up too as well. Like, you you can't, and I'm not trying to, you know, be negative here, but you can't help but wonder what these fights would have been like with a crowd. Like, I feel like this would have been an all-time card um, with the crowd there. And I know it's easy to say that all-time talk, and you've been probably abused with it on the lead-up because everybody's been like, oh, it's such a great card it is but at the same time it's like folks you realize like it's kind of all they can put on right now because all the cards got stopped for a second so we all it all got stacked up that's going to be a byproduct of this like that's why people like me and many have been yelling out at the top of our lungs for years like um for oversaturation because it affects the cards like these kind of how these are kind of how cards used to be folks um in a certain way not on a regular but being stacked. Okay. Um. Next fight, Anthony Pettis or Greg Hardy defeated Yagen Yagen De Castro. Another shout out of my dude Aaron there. Yagen, you heard all the Yagen there. Yagen Yagen, come on Yagen. Um. I thought Yagen De Castro was going to run away with it until he hurt his foot, which he might have. Uh. Then he stopped throwing. He started. uh <laughs> De Castro, as someone said on Twitter cleverly. Um. And yeah. I, I don't got any issue with like trying to lean toward Jorgen. I had a couple friends text me with that scorecard asking me how I scored it, but I scored it for Hardy. Rounds two and three. Um, but yeah, man. Again, folks, I haven't trashed Hardy. Uh, I think I've been very fair even when I have quote-unquote trashed him, which quote-unquote hasn't been for a while, and ultimately have picked Hardy way more than I picked against him, so I don't think you could throw the hater thing on me. However, one of the things that I um you know, was a bit criticized on uh, even by people I like by the way, so it's no it's no big deal it's no nothing personal but was that just because you're a elite athlete or a football player doesn't mean you're gonna have you're gonna have um success in the sense of the way people were initially now it's died down especially after tonight it's died down, but just because you played at an elite level or are quote unquote elite athlete by other slash many standards this is the fight game man it's freaking crazy and it's a fight game under pandemic time um and uh it doesn't always translate like you know like who were football players who translated well to the the ufc you could argue brendan schaub is one of the best football players to translate well to the ufc and y'all clown on him so much so why are you why are you know are you saying folk gonna you know be pumping up you know hardy like he's the second coming um so uh, whether i was picking hardy and and def- and def- you know um defending his progression as a fighter or as you want to call it hating on him for stating facts um i think we can agree that just because you're an elite athlete by any metric doesn't mean everything in the fight game that's more than a fair statement i'm not hating on football believe me not hating on my brothers and sisters um who who have sacrificed at the altar of that game, which is a brutal game in its own right. Not don't get it twisted, folks. Just saying. All right, uh, Daniel Mays. I thought Jeremy looked good, to be honest. He was pressuring more effectively that we haven't seen in the past. Calvin's just a beast. Great great recap there as well. Yeah, Jeremy did look good. You know, Jeremy is pretty can be inconsistent sometimes, and I would well he's done it with del fierro in his corner as well but some fights like the moicano fight um he was kind of spaced out from alliance it seemed at least from del fierro and del fierro is usually the guy in there reminding him to faint and not load up which is kind of the common criticism as far as jeremy stevens goes Tio FIO it felt almost anticlimactic with no crowd yeah that was another thing you know like kind of the commentary and people on twitter noted it it may have actually made the post fight interviews better but it was really weird like from that that first announcement like it's time you know and the fighters to like other things like you know with with the crowd to that note to i do wonder like i wonder if like from the ryan span alvey fight is is one of the fights for sure off the top of my head but many other fit into this um maybe even the main event how many of these fighters have shown a propensity to gas before a and those same fighters that have shown a propensity to gas How many of them were in higher pace, harder fights than they normally do? And yet, albeit looking tired at some points, we're still able to push through. So the point I'm trying to make there, folks, is whether we're talking about commentary or judging, which are the common talking points on how a crowd affects a live May event. I'm wondering how it affected some of these gas tanks because we just saw attritional battles like Nico Price keeping his composure. Um, Still fighting like a Nico Price, like crazy, which we'll talk about, but he was able to keep his composure to the third round, which is crazy. I mean, that fight, that fight almost saw the scorecards if it wasn't for the doctors, folks. Not that I'm disagreeing with the stoppage, which we'll get to, but that's kind of my takeaway from the no crowd deal. We will also adds, you can tell Gaethje felt the same. He ran over the cage and was going to run into the crowd and realize no one was there. I did see him do that. I got to rewatch that. Yeah. Hardy also adds, Hardy impressed me tonight. Jorgen threw heat tonight, and Hardy took it all. Um, yeah, and that, and that sounds Hardy impressed me, but going to decision as a heavyweight um, can be good. And, and I, I, as I pointed before the fight, trying to give Hardy credit that him being measured against Volkov and using his lead hand was an impressive thing, and it was almost of a good thing that he hurt his hand and was forced to do that and forced to go the distance. However, even though I love Yagen, having to do that against Jorgen DeCastro, um, a lower level opponent, and then still not showing much different in a victory or defeat, not the greatest sign, especially for the hype. And I'm not trying to hate. I'm just saying, um, you know, you want to see more. I think it was Ben folks that said I don't I don't know how much we really see out of Greg Hardy after these fights. Uh, all right all right um but yeah all right i'm gonna push on there and to the prelim section of the card anthony pettis defeated donald Cerrone. yeah i i had um by the way i went terrible on my my picks and 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 plays uh i think i only hit one of four as far as like straight uh plays i had two uh, underdog pick uh straight plays and a one uh or two props and i hit one of the props it was really bad folks i did terrible um, one of them was Dom Cruz, of course, which again I warned you because that was a biased flyer. But I just admitted it because that's what I do for better or worse. Um, another one was the over ningano Rosenstruck, which did not happen at all. There was no feeling out period. I was wrong and happy to be wrong. Uh, Anthony Pettis this was on a void list. Uh, I did pick Pettis though to win. Um, it was a really good fight. I got to rewatch this again. Uh, I scored it for Pettis, but was interrupted between dogs and food. I saw some people having issues with the score. Um, I, I probably lean 29, uh, 28 Pettis for landing the harder shots in all the rounds minus the third where, excuse me, Cerrone landed a nasty head kick. I don't credit the takedowns that much. Cause you know, like Anthony Pettis said, he didn't do much with them. Um, what was pretty cool though, was to see Anthony Pettis box more than he ever has, particularly from the Southpaw stance was uh, something he deserves credit for, and I want to go back and look at closer with an analytical eye. So props to both men for that fight, and I'll just leave it at that, regardless of the winner. How did we do in picks anyways? What did we do? Oh, oh, oh and two, one and two two and two three and two four and two four and three, five and three, six and three, six and four. Seven and four in picks, one and four in plays, and uh, missed the for fun parley, which we'll get to here in a second um we hit everything oh we hit the other part of the parlay we did not hit Fabricio Verdum though uh who loses by decision people were not questioning my Verdum pick but people were so confident including myself not coming at people but just trying to provide context for you folks uh, they were like why didn't you take Verdum inside the distance like I was like well dude like it's Verdum it's gonna be a weird fight and I don't think he can submit Olenek as best as he tried which he did like when have we seen Verdum trying for takedowns that hard like in that sense as far as Minus his earlier career, maybe, right? And, uh, yeah, but it just, Verdum looked terrible from his, again, his physicality, he always has that deceptively, like, even when he's, like, go look at Verdum when he's in shape and or A in shape and young, and Verdum always has that weird, like, kind of, like, midsection kind of, thing, and coming from a dude who has a weird midsection and is not in shape, believe me, I am not fucking casting judgment here. Uh, I'm just saying within context of Verdum and people's comments and Verdum, not looking good. Um, so it's hard to tell from that, but what troubled me was, was the knees. Those knees were brutal, man. We saw what they did to Roy Nelson back in the day. And even in the first round, whenever Doom was the most quote unquote fresh, like those knees look like a labored person in a fourth round. So even though he was actually getting the lineup on a lot of those knees come round three, I knew they weren't going to do anything because even the knees with the amount of umph that Verdum had in round one when he was supposedly fresh was nowhere near enough to hurt a, another heavyweight fighter to get him out of there. That was a big flag for me. And on the flip side, you got Olenek who looks like he found the fucking fountain of youth, right? Like, how... Like, I haven't seen Olenek in that good of shape since he was fighting at 185 and goddamn Bodog against Jail Sonnen, like, 20 years ago, folks. You know what I'm saying? Like, where the heck did that come from? I'm not trying to speculate. I'm a big fan of Olenek, but goddamn, did he find the power interview? On the flip side, so uh, so man, uh, that was that was that was a uh, that was a trip. So I, I'm not coming at anybody, TFU. I, I bet Virgil inside of the distance. Hey man, I ain't trying to come at anybody who did because again, my parlay freaking missed, um, which was tied to Luke. So uh, props to Olenek and. That was a bad look uh, to Verdum, who was probably done. And it's really sad, man. Uh, Verdum never got enough credit. Um, I always felt that, and people thought I was crazy. And I said, Watch, he's going to beat Kane Velasquez when they fight. And um, sure enough, they ended up uh, fighting. And uh, I stuck to my word. But then when I found out that Cain, by the time Cain was coming off of injury and the fight was at elevation, I remember going back and forth with a friend at the time, and we just kept doubling down and uh, tripling down. On these plus 350 lines on Verdum. It was just stupid money. Because again. Even though I don't listen to my advice. All the time. You should always squint at a heavyweight fight. That has over 2 to 1 odds. And Verdum went ahead and beat Velasquez. Unfortunately that still wasn't enough to get him the credit that he deserved, And he could have really cemented himself. Against the doubters and the haters in the history books. If he beats Verdum at UFC 193 was it. Or 198. And uh. We know how that went, so kind of sad. Again, this was really sad for, like, the guys with, like, the potential storylines to be great slash guys that Dan Tom loves because, you know, great guys who don't get credit, like Scottie Pippen, that's, like, right up Dan Tom's alley. That's, like, the, Scottie Pippen's the archetype for people who I like, well-rounded people who don't get credit. And a lot of them got the fucking coffin nails put in them tonight, so Jesus Christ. That was a bit hard, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. All right, uh, let's get let's finish this up here. Uh, Carla Barza defeated Michelle Watterson. Didn't watch much of that. It was not a very exciting fight. No offense to either, ladies. Um, I was kind of surprised that Watterson didn't win it, although the, I was uh, kind of in transition in that fight too. Admittedly, folks, I was getting some things done. Um, but from what I saw, however, I picked uh, Carla, so I'll have to go watch that one again. Vicente Luque versus Nico Price. Spring break. Spring break for Elva. Um, yeah, man. Nico, dude, he was fighting really well. And again, I wonder how much the crowd had to do with that. Like, it didn't, like, the crowd didn't, like, super, like, fucking inject Nico Price with, like, uh, with, with rage or whatever. Um, and then you had Luke, who, regardless of the crowd, uh, the crowd's affect, um, he was uh, notably, as you would expect him to, trying to fight more, composed and trying to hold himself in. Uh, after the steven thompson fight and that left hook man that luke left hook that just that feel that strike strike feel feel return holy crap just vertical too i mean it just just i mean everybody throws their hooks different ways i never really liked this way um i kind of like more the russian casting style of uh of uh punches with the knuckles here if we're going high and if we're going low digging to the body liver side i'll, I'll turn knuckles more this uh, this way but you watch luke game, man he is just it is like how you'd want to instruct somebody it, it's beautiful left hook, beautiful left hook um i have no issues with the stoppage it, it, it probably should have been stopped sooner i mean inside the distance betters we'll probably lose <laughs> while losing their shit at a certain point and i love jason herzog he's one of my favorite rest, referees but like between that break in the action to like luke jumping into price's guard it was like what are you doing you almost costed yourself the finish but he ended up getting it and for what it's worth price had no issue with the stoppage like that's how bad he was hurt folks so um it didn't matter the parlay didn't cash for me but good on nico or good on sorry luke and spam by k we have some drunk people in the air but it's all good i love you all ama is pretty but i love that shambling russian meme submission man i think y'all are drunk in here i, or I can't read i think it's both <laughs> but appreciate you guys uh lighting up this chat it makes me makes me very happy we're almost at an hour here so i want to get out of here folks with the rest of these results we'll call it a night bryce mitchell defeated charles rosa boy was i wrong on this one again like dan Tom should be listening to his own advice um even though i was wrong as well with like the and pseudo pick but as far as this principle like just because you are and it's something that I preach all the time so it's really silly that like I got burned by this which is just because you have a certain rank or credential in jiu or wrestling doesn't mean it's going to translate it's all dependent on what style you have how that style translates to the sport you're competing as well as the competitor you're competing against right and uh again folks I told like I told you the particular podcast I'm making an excuse by any means but I, I didn't watch a heavy tape on the prelims so be careful on anything i say and boy did i get burned on this one so hopefully you guys followed my word warning didn't follow me too hard off that cliff um and again i'm a boston strong fan i know like not the most popular fighter or like crazy things to like about him i guess but i like him so there was that bias too but you bet your ass i respect bryce mitchell um he's proved me wrong many times and after proving me wrong Yet again, um, man, uh, he's definitely on my radar. But it's gonna be one of those things where it's like, kind of back to my thing: like, are we are we just blind? Thinking out loud here, folks. Are we just blind to certain styles, and and do we miss things? Um, because, yeah, I just I, I I I don't know. I don't know. Uh, props if you were on the. I know a, a lot of sharps were on on the um, uh, Cejudo uh, or or the Mitchell. A lot of my misses. So props to y'all. Um, and like I said, especially with the cruise one, like, dude, so Hudo's definitely the pick here. I don't blame anybody for being heavy on him. Um, so I, no hard feelings there. Uh, but this one, uh, if it makes sense, kind of surprised me more, almost, if that makes sense. Uh, because, again, even though we shouldn't lie on credentials, like, Joe Rogan wasn't lying. Like, Rosa is a legitimate black belt for what that's worth. So for people that haven't grappled before, um, that are, like front like they know like uh, unless you grappled you don't know folks sorry um and it makes it really all the more impressive so i was wrong for sure and man props to bryce mitchell i hope he gets his camo shorts um and props to everyone who cashed on that next one was ryan's band i cashed on this one i started off cashing at least ryan's band defeated sam alvey um i wasn't for the chalk i was not confident as this line was however I did like the overline because uh, I I thought it was going to be an an ugly fight and grueling fight. Um, And it played out that way because of, like I said, Sam Alvey's underrated clinch. But again, uh, I'm not an I-told-you-so person, and and, uh, that stuff's gross to me. And we'd be here forever uh, if I was doing the stuff that I got right. So I'll be more than happy to take credit for what I got wrong. Hopefully what I got right, though, helped you. Tune in for the next breakdown, which will come. Hopefully I'm going to try to get it, uh, two days before uh so the 11th in two days so i'll probably try to get the for the 13th show on the 11th and then maybe we'll just try to do the 14th uh for the uh 16th card we'll do that sound good folks uh it'll be right here on this channel youtube daniel tom backslash mma please hit the uh, like on this video despite the shoddy backdrop which i will improve thank you guys for sitting through that as well as the uh the little fight Island sneak preview backdrop that I showed on Aaron, uh, the unironed backdrop that I showed on uh, Aaron's periscope. Um, and you guys join me for those like, and subscribe, subscribe to the podcast. Again, recap shows that are live, live chats, breakdowns, top five shows, as well as some combat sports theater. That's where I'm going to be recording some live watch along tracks for classic fight movies, sports, uh, sporting events, and more all for free, all on this channel. All on this podcast, the Protecting Night podcast, at the PYM podcast, which if you could do me a favor and follow on all social platforms, I won't spam your feed. Get at me, at Dan Tom and May. You can slide into the DMs for questions. Um, if you're not asking questions in the live format here. Thank you for all of you who watched uh, along live tonight and, and submitted questions. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoy the fights. And until next time, protect your neck.